Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from RootMetric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. I am not Joe Flacco. This is not Joe Flacco, the podcast. I am talking about Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch's very, very, very bad day. I am talking about rings. Are they overrated? And who are my top 10 quarterbacks of all time? And I'm also talking about three teams I hadn't thought about in a while. One that I hadn't thought about since at least December. Two that I hadn't thought about since December. Eagles, Cowboys, and mystery team number three, who my follower Joshua thinks is are all making the NFL playoffs in 2020. Thanks for listening. Let's get into it. Episode 2 of Nacho Flacco, the podcast, is sponsored by Rubbers. Rubbers. Your father should have worn one. Hey, Nacho. Question. Who had a worse day? John Lynch, when he lost the Super Bowl as a GM and did not get the knock into the Hall of Fame? Or Kyle Shanahan when he blew another fourth quarter Super Bowl lead. Okay, Luke Dicka, great question. We're asking who had the worst day, John Lynch, who didn't get into the Hall of Fame and lost the Super Bowl, or Kyle Shanahan, who blew his second Super Bowl, first as a head coach. But we'll we'll go with Either or John Lynch or Kyle Shanahan. I'm going to go with John Lynch had a worse day because I think he might be waiting a little bit to get into the Hall of Fame. And uh, he's, he's, and, and I think Kyle Shanahan, obviously at, you know, late 30s, early 40s, has 20 or 30 more years to win a ring. Uh, John Lynch, only has like a few more tries. You know, it's like you've only got so many years on the ballot before you're not uh, before you're not eligible anymore for the Hall of Fame. And so for that reason, uh, I'm going to go with John Lynch had the worst day. But let's look at um, what uh, let's look at John Lynch's competition for the Hall of Fame coming up here uh, in the next couple of years. Or at least let's just go with next year. So in 2020, the guys that got in were Isaac Bruce, Steve Hutchinson, um, Edger and James were the non-defensive backs, and Steve Atwater and Troy Polamalu were both sorry were both uh, safeties that played the same position as John Lynch 
and they got into the Hall of Fame this year. It would have been unpre. It's already, I think, unprecedented for two safeties to get in in the same year. Um, I think the Hall of Fame tends to try and spread these things out, except for when there's something that is like that's just urgent. That you know, if if for example, Tom Brady and Peyton Manning were both eligible for the Hall of Fame, you're going to vote both those guys in, and the other positions can wait. But for two safeties to go in. Uh, Paul Amalu, obviously, I think first year of eligibility at water was uh, had been waiting a few years, both deserving uh, of where they went, of when they were not of when they were enshrined. So at water, you know, had to wait a few years. That's understandable. Uh, Paul Amalu, one of the best safeties of all time. He uh, first ballot Hall of Famer. So congrats to those guys. But here's who John Lynch has to go up against next year. Um First, let's go with let's go with the defensive backs that are waiting to get enshrined at this point. Uh, Leroy Butler, he was on the ballot and didn't get in. He's actually got a better resume than than John Lynch does uh, in terms of first team All Pros. So I think I think Leroy Butler had the higher ceiling. Uh, Lynch played for longer, went to more Pro Bowls, but in terms of in, impact. I think that Leroy Butler probably had the better impact. John Lynch has the better name recognition among the casual fan for a couple of reasons. One, you know, being that he's the GM of the 49ers and two, that he was a national broadcaster for Fox. Those things help keep your name uh, at the front of people's uh, in, in the front of people's minds. And it, those things help. I think it's not to always bring up Eli, but it's one of the reasons that Eli is going to, be a hall of famer is because you just, he just feels like a hall of famer. It's just like, okay, top 10 and all the counting stats and his name's Manning. Those things help get folks into the hall of fame. Uh, John Lynch has that advantage over Leroy Butler. Uh, I do think Leroy Butler had the better, better career and certainly the, the higher, the higher ceiling, but look who else has to look who else John Lynch is competing with for five spots. So you've got Peyton Manning, who's going to go in next year. Charles Woodson, who's going to go in next year. Reggie Wayne is on the ballot. Megatron, Charles Johnson is on the ballot. Alan Fanica is on the ballot. Zach Thomas, the Dolphins middle linebacker, is on the ballot. Um, and uh, so I think this is going to be really difficult because I think it, it would be unusual again to have uh, Charles Woodson and Leroy Butler both go in have another two defensive backs go in in consecutive years. So I think Leroy Butler might have to even wait a year. Charles Woodson's definitely getting in. Fanica is well-deserving. Um, Peyton is obviously getting in. Patrick Willis is is borderline. I think Patrick Willis is going to have to wait a couple of years. But he's, you know, if you think Luke Keekley's a Hall of Famer, Patrick Willis arguably, arguably had the better career. The only thing that Keekley has over him is the – is the defensive player of the year, which is, you know, it's, it's a thing, but you know, they, they had, they both were five first, first team, all pro five years, both went to about the same amount of pro bowls, very similar careers in terms of tackles. Uh, Keekley had way more interceptions. Uh, Patrick Willis had more forced fumbles, you know, very, very even career. So, you know, voters are going to have to probably pick between those two guys. So if Willis doesn't get in here in the next five years, then he might have trouble if voters go uh, Keekly. 
But I think Kyle Shanahan, uh, I think John Lynch is waiting and is going to be waiting for a while to get into the Hall of Fame as more safeties and more defensive backs start coming through. Uh, And that's why I think that Kyle Shanahan, despite blowing, being the head coach of the team that lost the Super Bowl, is the uh, is the right answer here. So let's spend a couple minutes here on whether or not Kyle Shanahan actually blew, like memes aside, let's see if Kyle Shanahan actually blew the Super Bowl. And I'm going to go a little bit off the top of my head on this one. Uh, mostly because I've been replaying that fourth quarter in my fucking head for, for forever. The Niners defense which Kyle Shanahan is not um, not really in charge of, right? I mean, as, as head coach, obviously, he's got the responsibility, but that's functionally that's, you know, <clears throat> him and, and uh, Sean McVay don't, you know, don't play a huge role in any of the game planning or running of the defense. Um, and so, you know, you've got to look at the team that got tired at the end of the game, that gave up the big play to Tyreek uh, Tyree Kill, uh, the 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 refs I think certainly played a role in it. I, I thought the Nick Bosa, the non-holding call on Nick Bosa was pretty egregious. And then when you're but, but the argument that Kyle Shanahan blew the Super Bowl is that he didn't call enough running plays. And I think if you do the reading on this one, that you'll find that the runs just weren't really there, uh, or he did call running plays and. Uh, they uh, or or did he he did call some running plays, but you know when you look at the plays that were called, it's an execution thing, you know, and and an execution thing on both sides. Chris Jones had a dominant fourth quarter on the on the Chiefs defensive line, and he knocked down like two passes. They were constantly getting pressure up the middle. That's a really hard, uh, it's a really hard thing to do uh, for a quarterback. So you know, it's like you can't. You can't always go back and say, you know, this was this was this person's fault or this was that person's fault. I don't even necessarily blame Jimmy G. Uh, you know, this is the the Niners ran into, you know, the best quarterback of his generation. I think I'm very comfortable saying that in Patrick Mahomes, and they didn't have a big enough lead. And but for three quarters, they outplayed him. And I don't think it's a matter of blowing it; just the 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 team with the better quarterback won the game and, you know, defenses get tired and, you know, passes get knocked down at the line of scrimmage. I think if you replay that game 10 times, I think the Niners probably win six, but this was just one of the times that, that they lost and those things happen. So uh, in terms of who had the worst day, just to go back and put a bow on it, Kyle Shanahan, who I don't necessarily blame for blowing the Super Bowl, uh, or John Lynch, who didn't get into the Hall of Fame and saw his uh, team lose the Super Bowl. I'm going to go with John Lynch mainly for the reason that, well, two reasons. One, uh, I didn't even I didn't think of this until just now, but you don't always get a ton of opportunities to run teams over and over and over again. There's not a lot of uh, there's only the the select general managers that get multiple teams to run. And so John Lynch might not, you know, John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan might not be tied at the hip, but Shanahan's always going to have a job calling plays or being a head coach. 
I think, you know, unless he ends up being kind of the North Turner type guy that really just doesn't get a reputation as a winner. And, but I, I don't think that's going to be Kyle's issue. I, Kyle's going to get other opportunities to be in the big game. And I think given how uh, good of a coach he is that he's going to, whether it's with the Niners or somewhere down the line, that I think given how good of a coach he is, that he is actually going to end up uh, winning at least one Super Bowl. And uh, so I think that's why John – and John Lynch is going to have to wait to get in the Hall of Fame. I don't think he's getting in next year. I think I'd, I'd, I'd be very surprised if uh, if he got in next year. So um, there's my answer, Luke Digga. Hope that satisfies for you. On to the next question. Rings are incredibly overrated. I think players like Tom Brady, while they are great, people hold them to such a higher standard because he won six Super Bowls. I mean... Really, he wasn't that great, and if you took away those six rings... Sorry, I take that back. He was great, but if you take away those six rings, his career looks a lot less flashy. Players like, I don't know, the Peyton Mannings, or the Deion Sanders, you know, they were, they were all amazing. But no one ever really talks about them. Maybe Peyton Manning some, because they didn't win as many Super Bowls. Play, people are just blow off players that were great and had talent because they didn't win as many Super Bowls as him. I really don't don't think that is fair. Top 10 quarterbacks, go. Okay, so a two-parter. And I'm just going to combine these questions because I think I can answer both with, with one answer. And there's probably a third question here, which is, where does not Joe Flacco actually rank Drew Brees. I've been saying that I thought that Drew Brees was a top 8 to 12 quarterback and but I'd never actually done the work to to actually think it through and 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 actually tag him with a number. And so in the in the process of going through this, I will kind of talk about the rings thing. Uh specifically, you know, Manning, Brady, Elway Montana, um, those are the guys that that were contemporaries of each other, and Marino will work in there as well. But we'll we'll go through this, and I'll kind of talk to the ring thing and the top ten thing at the same time. Brady is my number one quarterback of all time. Whether he's the best football player to ever live is probably a, a three way question, a three way thing between Brady, Jerry Rice, and, and Lawrence Taylor. But we're gonna we're talking quarterback, so we're gonna we're gonna stick with with Brady at the number one. At this point, you know, I I don't think that the if Brady only had three rings, I think he might fall to two. If he had but with four rings, five rings, six rings, I think it's a no doubt about it. Because you might not weight them. It might not be the only thing you do to solve the top 10 equation. But it can't not impact you. And pulling it all out and just completely eliminating rings eliminates a lot of other things that go with it. What was the rest of the team like? 
you know, so people always talk about, well, if this guy was in New England, he'd have, they'd have won 10 straight. If Rodgers was there, if Breeze was there, if Manning had Belichick, blah, 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 blah. But you also discount how that player's team was built. You know, maybe Manning doesn't have Marvin Harrison and Reggie Wayne and Edger and James if he's with the Patriots because they set up their team differently. So maybe Manning's stats look different. Okay. Maybe maybe Breeze's defense being so bad for so much of his career allowed him to throw the ball over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. Because even if he wasn't playing catch up, he had to outscore the other team. And so maybe the team maybe he wasn't down, but maybe they're not running the ball at the end of the game to win the game. And so, you know, when when you look at the teams that don't win Super Bowls, you've got to look at at how that impacts the quarterback's resume, aside from the fact that they don't get the ring. And so Brady's my number one. Montana's my number two. I'm a Niner fan. I think at this point it's pretty cut and dry. I thought it was cut and dry at five rings. It's certainly cut and dry at six rings. Anything that you'd say about Brady, you'd say about Montana and vice versa. And so the tiebreaker at that point for me has to be the rings. When you add up, uh, and then my number three is Manning. But I'll talk about Manning's rings for a second as well. Manning beat Rex Grossman in one Super Bowl. And Von Miller won him the other one. And I don't think that's properly accounted for in Manning's, in the Manning conversation. Um, now, seven first-team All-Pros. No, nobody's got more. But something like five MVPs and two rings is a phenomenal, phenomenal career. But I think the quality of um, you know, he, he doesn't have the volume of rings and the quality is not necessarily quite there in terms of who, who he's beating in the, in the end. Um, whereas like Montana, so we're comparing Montana and Manning right now, whereas my, Montana, you know, beat Elway, who's my number four, beat Boomer Esiason, who's a borderline hall of famer, beat Ken Anderson, who was very, very good. Um, and beat Dan Marino. There aren't, you know, not not many, you know, beating one of those guys in the Super Bowl would have would have been significant, but beating all four of them is is special. Um, Manning, uh, I think, clearly is the best statistical career of anybody uh, when you loop in the uh, the MVPs and the first team All Pros and count those kinds of as statistics. Elway is my number four. And even though he won his Super Bowls late and lost a few of them as well, you know, he lost to the Redskins, he lost to the Niners, um, lost to the, uh, lost to the Redskins, lost to the Niners. And I think he lost another one in there. Off the top of my head. Um, but Elway was, Elway is what you would have thought was the, you know, the most talented quarterback of, of the 80s. 
if you're putting if you're if we're taking that kind of new paradigm where we say okay this guy's got the most talent which is just another bullshit argument to try and not give Brady his credit but Elway's my number four um and I think that the thing in my top four is is guys that have won multiple rings and guys that have uh multiple uh MVPs or um uh, multiple rings, MVPs, and uh, first-team All-Pros. Now, Elway actually never won was a first-team All-Pro, which was surprising to me when I was kind of going through all this. Um, but that's, again, why I, I've, I've slid him down to four. Um, and there's even an argument for this next guy, uh, rings aside, to maybe slide up to. And and as the more I thought about it, the, the four and five spot is a little more interchangeable then I thought where I thought the, I was five and six that were a little more interchangeable. Um, Brett Favre is my number five, one ring, three MVPs, three straight MVPs. And I think now going back to Breeze, I think this is significant because the next three guys all have stretches where everybody kind of agreed that this was the best quarterback in the league. And so my five, six, and seven are Favre, Young, and Rodgers. Uh, Steve Young and Rodgers. So Favre, uh, one Super Bowl ring, two appearances, uh, three straight MVPs. Uh, Steve Young was the dominant quarterback in the league for the f- first five years in of the 90s um, with two MVPs, a Super Bowl ring, and um, and was the first passer to really, you know, you know, people make a big deal out of out of getting to a 70% completion. Well, Young did that in the early 90s when it was much tougher to play quarterback and much tougher to have that kind of completion percentage because defenses, defenses were allowed to hit people. You were allowed to hit guys going over the middle. There wasn't the protection for quarterbacks that there is now. Um, and then when you when you factor in Young's uh, athleticism, and the and you know he's rushed for four thousand yards and another forty three touchdowns in his career, just a, a superb athlete, and the and and the quarterback of of my favorite team ever, the ninety four forty nine ers. Um, I've got I've got uh, Aaron Rodgers at at seven. Um, again, he's got a ring, he's got multiple MVPs, and we had that stretch where. Everybody was pretty on board with and comfortable with Aaron Rodgers is the best quarterback in the league. And again, I don't think we've ever had that run with Breeze. It's not that he's ever lacked for appreciation. Everybody fucking loves the guy. He's all things considered a probably a really wonderful dude. And um uh but I, he hasn't he's he's kind of a victim of having Brady Manning and Rodgers as his contemporaries. But I don't think you can get as high uh, in, or certainly these are my rankings. You can rank him where the fuck you want, but I wouldn't move him up uh, higher than where he's at, given that, again, you know, he he wasn't better than these guys, wasn't considered better than these guys in the moment either. Um, at this point, we're getting to the first guy that I never saw play, but has such uh, has such the reputation that that it doesn't matter. I've got Johnny Unitas at eight. Um, again, multiple first team all pros, multiple championships. You know, I, uh, I can't talk to anything else other than, you know, he was kind of the first prototypical quarterback. Um, Dan Marino is nine. Now I've talked about Dan Marino having fallen off 
after he turned 27, 28, probably due to injuries and, and, and other things. But again, had a run where he was the best quarterback in the league. Um, three straight first team all pros was just a monster at the beginning of his career and, and lost a lot to kind of injuries to the lower. He was already, you know, a pocket passer and then lost a lot to the, to the lower leg injuries. Um, and then, uh, Drew Brees. So Drew Brees does make my top 10 and I see no reason to keep him out of the top 10. I looked at the rest, uh, the guys above and below him. <clears throat> it doesn't really make sense to, to move him, uh, that much lower than 10. So Drew Brees is my number 10. He's got a ring. He's going to retire as you know, with all the counting stats. Um, And, you know, he's still productive and and still leading a good team. So there's a chance that, you know, if he were to get a second ring, that he would, he would default into either the fourth or the fifth spot for me. um, If I'm being, if I'm being consistent, but probably the fifth spot. Um, he would default into um, that second ring to me is is that important, and for the reason that you know uh, anybody can win one ring, and you can get lucky with one ring. I don't think uh, I don't think you know two rings is luck, and unless you're unless you're Eli. So that's so rings do matter to me to to answer both questions and kind of put a bow on this. Rings do matter to me. They matter to me a lot. They don't necessarily matter that much more to me than MVPs and first team all pros, which I, I think those specific, all three of those things together are very, very important to me because they only award one of those per year. And if you if you look at the way those things are awarded, um, specifically the first team all pro and the MVP, you'll get a feel for was this guy, especially at quarterback, was this guy the best quarterback? Did he have a run of being the best quarterback in the league? And that's the reason that I've got Breeze lower um, at, in the uh, in the number ten spot. Is that you know rings are important, but also first team All Pro and the MVPs. And Breeze only has the one first team All Pro. Victim of his era, sure, fine, uh, but he's also helped by his era in that the same way that Eli's helped by his era. This is the easiest era to throw a football. Um, and it's the easiest era to be a quarterback. And I think you're going to see, you know, certainly with Eli and maybe with Breeze that, you know, his status is the, is the you know, most touchdowns and, and everything else is going to put and most yards and everything else is going to get chipped away at by guys like Matt Ryan, Stafford, and, you know, Mahomes, if he plays long enough, because those guys, you know, are spent and because, playing quarterback is only going to continue to get easier. And so I would caution you against using the counting stats as anything um, other than a guide, right? I wouldn't, I, I, I base almost none of this on, on the counting stats. Otherwise Eli might've made my top 10. So that's my answer to uh, rings being overrated and also my top 10 quarterbacks. Hello, not Joe Flacco. I contend that the Eagles, the Cowboys, and the Dolphins will all reach the playoffs this year because of the extended 14-team bracket, and that among those teams, a total of two playoff games will be won. All right. Uh, love what you're doing. Support your channel. Good luck with everything. 
Joshua, great question or hot take, I guess is probably a better way to put it, saying that the Eagles, Cowboys, and Dolphins are all making the playoffs in 2020, provided we have a fucking season, and that two playoff wins will come from that those three teams. So let's go one by one. Let's look at their 2019 and go from there. I don't think the Eagles and Cowboys have done a ton in terms of new talent necessarily added to the team. Um, The Cowboys uh, signed Alden Smith yesterday. We'll see how a guy who hasn't played in four or five years fares. Uh, But uh, let's, let's take these teams one by one. So the Eagles had a, an average offense and an average defense. They were 12th and 14th in points four and yards four. They were 15th and 10th in points against and yards against. So about an average team. And from that, they ended up with a nine and seven record, which actually outperformed what the stats would have suggested. The stats would have suggested, if you look at the Pythagorean record, that uh, the stats was, would have expected them to finish 8-8, eight and eight, so they finished one game better. That's usually not a good sign for teams for the next year because that Pythagorean record is, is fairly accurate over a, a group of, uh, over a group of years. So um, the other thing is they went 5-5 five and five in one-score games. So the good news is uh, you can't really expect them to fall off too far from the nine and seven, eight and eight round, uh, you know, record, but they also don't have a ton of room for optimism either. You know, if they'd gone nine and seven, but had like a three and six record in one score games, well, that would say, okay, maybe maybe this team is actually uh, a twelve win team or an eleven win team. The the so the Eagles are who their record says they are. They're about an average team. The Cowboys, and this was interesting to me, the Cowboys were one and six in one score games, had a top 10 offense in points four and yards four, and had a the 11th and ninth ranked defense in points against and yards against. But they went eight and eight, and their stats would have suggested that they go 10 and six. So they underperformed by two wins, which is good for the Cowboys going into next season. It means that they should probably have a better record um, that if things were to even out, regression to the mean, all that other fun shit, that they're going to do better. Uh, that They're more likely to be a 9 or a 10 win team next year than anything. And then when you factor in the 1-6 the record in one score games, yeah, I mean, those that's an extra 2.5 or 3 wins there. So you know, I think the Cowboys probably should have been a 10 or 11 win team this year. And I think it's probably fairly likely that they get to the 9 and 7, 11 and 5 range next year and contend for the division. I don't think, I think these two teams are the two best teams in the, in the, in the NFC East. I do like, I do like the Redskins though, mostly because I like Dwayne Haskins and I like Ron Rivera. Um, but the Dolphins. So the Dolphins were historically bad on defense, but they went out and signed a bunch of guys on defense. Byron Jones, Kyle Van Noy, Shaq Lawson, Elandon Roberts, all on defense. 
added Jordan Howard, who's a running back, but just a running back on, on defense or on offense. And then Eric Flowers to help help with the line. The problem is they're still rolling out Fitzmagic. So in 2020, we're going to, you know, Kobe died, fires in Australia, <laughs> fucking coronavirus. Uh, oh, and by the way, Ryan Fitzpatrick is still the quarterback of a team in the National Football League. So I don't, you know, they went 5-11, and 11, but they were expected to go 4-12. and 12, So they actually overperformed from what the stats would have suggested. I don't think this is much better than an eight-win, at best, an eight-win team. I do like how they were coached. I really like how they were coached. I liked how hard they played. I liked that they were off to such a putrid fucking start and that they came back to finish five and four over the last nine games. The problem is, is that momentum doesn't carry over from December to the following September. Too much changes. The schedule changes. Everything changes. uh, And it's not... You can't just expect that, oh, they were five and four over the last nine. So that means they're definitely going nine and seven. That doesn't, it's not how, it's not how football works. And they've got all the, all the studies have proven this out is that momentum in December does not translate into momentum in, in September. Otherwise, the Niners would be, you know, otherwise I'd be thrilled because the Niners are for sure going to go 19 and 0 next season because they made the Super Bowl this last year doesn't work like that. So to go back, do I see two playoff wins from, from this group? Sure. I think the Cowboys – now what the Cowboys have done is they've added a, a good head coach. And I don't think Jason Garrett is a good head coach, so they're getting a coaching upgrade. That should help in the one-score game territory. But I don't think it's going to take them – you know, let's say they should have been 10-6 and six last year – I don't think Mike McCarthy is going to add two more wins. I don't think that, you know, they're necessarily a 12 or a 13 win football team. Add in the fact that, you know, you might have Dak Prescott playing on the franchise tag next year, and that might not make him feel good. You know, motivated, sure, but he might not be motivated to really help the Cowboys. The, you know, he's going to get his 30 or 35 million from somebody. And we can... I'm sure somebody else has asked this question elsewhere, but he's he's for sure worth that money. I don't know why they're not paying him. I haven't looked at their salary cap numbers or, or if they can afford it. But I think the reason, and, and here's how I would, here's the way I've attacked would attack this problem if I were the Cowboys. I would franchise him. I would roll the dice, and I would see, and I would basically go to him and be like, "Listen, this is your this is your prove it deal." You've got to go and prove that we're because we're committed to Mike McCarthy and you've got to go show that you can run his system because I don't think that you should burden Mike McCarthy with Dak Prescott if Mike McCarthy figures out six games in that Dak can't run his system. So that's that's my concern. I think the Cowboys are doing the right thing by franchising him. I don't think they should sign him to a long-term contract until Mike McCarthy gets a chance to coach him. But I also think it could impact his play next year if he's playing on, on the franchise tag. And uh, but the uh, you know and and he could cost himself some money and he could make himself a lot of money. You know if he has because he played really well last year, 
And if he has a, another year like this, the Cowboys might not be able to afford him. He might not want to play for the Cowboys. All sorts of shit could happen. Um, but that's what happens when you when you tie somebody down with the franchise tag is that they don't necessarily uh, appreciate it all the fucking time. You know, these guys want to be able to go and, and they compete, not just on the field, but in terms of contracts as well. And I'm sure that Dak wants, you know, Kirk Cousins money or, you know, Russell Wilson money or any of these guys, because that's how these guys, that's another way that these guys keep score. So do I think that the, I think the Eagles probably haven't done enough to improve. Maybe, you know, uh, you know, if, if Carson Wentz stays healthy all year, that they'll be able to improve on their record. If uh, uh, I think the Cowboys are expected to improve based on some of the metrics that I was already went over, I think the Dolphins can't help but improve, especially with the way that they bolstered the defense. You know, a, a, a terrible, terrible defense. But I don't think necessarily that that makes them a playoff team. So I would say that sure, I think that two playoff wins would be okay for these three teams it might be high i'd put the over under at one and a half and i'd probably take the under yeah i'd take the under just because winning in the playoffs is hard and i only think one of these teams is is has a really good shot at making the playoffs and i think that's the cowboys i think the cowboys have a really good shot at making the playoffs they've improved their coach they've got talent on the team um but i don't think all three teams i think Two out of three, I could see making it, but certainly not three out of three. So, um, but great question, Joshua. Definitely made me think about that one and learn some stuff about some teams that I hadn't spent the time on uh, recently. So thank you for that. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.